giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hey everybody, this is Ben Orenstein from ThoughtBot. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, and it is Friday, July 20th. Now today we're going to be talking with David Tierson, and David is a previous client of ours. We worked with him on a project called Staddleship. It was about an eight-week engagement, and David worked in the office alongside with us, uh, writing code next to us uh, on his app. His idea for Staddleship was a place that sport fans could go to make predictions about upcoming sports events and sort of join each other in making guesses about what was going to happen. So in this podcast, we're going to cover what it's like being a solo entrepreneur, what it's like learning to code Ruby at the ThoughtBot office, uh, and other similar topics. Hope you enjoy. So uh, you like to get into your background a little bit first. Uh, so you used to work for a consultancy. You helped run a consultancy somewhere in San Francisco. I used, I used to work for a couple of consulting firms. Um, first was a consulting company that was based here in Cambridge called Seabridge Internet Solutions, which was over the, you know, the Scient, Viant, Sapient, Agency.com, Razorfish, Mold, things. Okay. Uh, and then, but then in around 2002, three. When everything else fell apart, the uh, there were about seven of us that were on a project down in San Antonio, Texas, and we'd all basically were going to lose our jobs. <laughs> yeah. So the client really liked us, and seven of us, of us got together and said, you know, the client still wants wants to work with us. We have an opportunity now to start something on our own. So at that point in time, we were still a consulting firm, and we did work for them and they were primarily they were they were an oil and gas company they were one of the larger refiners in the US but as the time as 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 we went along we realized that we were having an expertise in oil and gas so at around 2005 about 2 or 3 years later we started to productize our deliverables mm-hmm. we were we were customizing and custom building applications almost and over again and we're taking all of that code into a sort of a shared pattern library and we said what you know we could we could productize it so we turned into a product services company around 2005 2006 and focused all on oil and gas and were you a developer for this company rewriting code at this point at, at, at the earlier part, when there's seven people, everybody was doing everything. You know, okay. we, you know, we were we were designing logos, we were uh, going on sales calls, we were developing, we were, you know, doing customer management. But primarily at that time, I was doing a little bit of project management and testing and some some coding, but not but not very not very high level. Mm-hmm. And then as we moved into the product side of things, that's when. We developed, we, we established a product, you know, product division. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there were about three or four of us in that. And that's when we went, we, we focused on that. And, uh, you know, five years later, we took that product and had professional services wrapped around it. And we're, we've been working with a lot of large oil and gas companies and uh, were able to sell the company in 2010. So that kind of brings us up into today, right? Saddleship? Right. So right. tell me about that. So, so that had been an idea that my first idea for Staddleship isn't what Staddleship is now. And that's kind of the, the interesting part. Mm. I had moved back from San Francisco in 2010. And for about a year, I just didn't been doing some consulting work on the side. But I also had Bruden season tickets for the first time ever, which happened to be a, a good year for that first time Bruden season tickets. Mm. And... As I'm sitting there, you know, in game 32 during the second intermission, I start thinking about, okay, well, it's my 32nd game. I'm sitting here. It's 
nothing's going on for 20 minutes. You can only watch Ice Girls and, and you know, the little tykes run around for a while. And I said, well, you know, there, there must be something else I could do during a sports event, during this hockey game that would keep me entertained as a fan, that would, you know, that, that would just be kind of fun. And I'd been bouncing around an idea for about four or five months, and it came to the summertime. And I said, well, I'm neither going to build this myself. So I bought some books with some videos like everybody else does, because I, my, my development background was web development. And the last stuff we were doing was, was you know, C-sharp sharp because we had to be a, a Microsoft shop because if you're in an oil and gas Fortune 500 company, you have to be a Microsoft shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so took that as a task for the summer. And what I realized was I could learn from these books. I could learn from these videos. I could learn from, you know, these little practices. But really how you learn is through patterns and by following best practices. And as I was watching one of the videos, I think it was they were describing the factory girl Uh testing approach. And and then, of course, they mentioned you guys. And I realized, hey, you guys are down the street because I live in Boston here. And I started looking at you guys and I said, you know, this makes a lot of sense. You know, why, if you're going to learn, if you're going to learn rails, if you're going to learn how to start a company, if you're going to learn how to take some, take on a project and do it well, why not do it well from the beginning? Mm -hmm. You know, why not take that time and that initiative to, to, to not do, you know, a crap job because the only thing you'll do is you'll start repeating bad patterns and, and that's the hardest thing to to get away from and, yeah. and i know that from you know developing our our oil and gas logistics platform there came a point in time where you're just well i'll just i'll just keep doing the same thing that i'm doing before you know i'll just mm-hmm. do it over and over and over again it doesn't necessarily have to be the great solution but that's but that's it so I came to you guys with an idea, and it was kind of funny because it was I. I, <laughs> I had to pitch this idea to you guys. To hmm. I, I was joking with some of my friends. It was like I would like to give Thoughtbot some money to help me develop a project, and they're like, "We don't know if we want to work with you." Yeah, you know, think- you know. <laughs> please pitch your idea, and we'll see if we like you. If we like your idea, for if if you're interesting and the idea is interesting enough that you know we'll let you pay 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 us to, that's, to do something. Yeah, that's which is kind of, of funny. It is. We're we're extremely fortunate in that we have yeah. a good number of people that want to work with us. Right, and right. So we can kind of flip this process on its head a little bit, which is I, th- I think works out really well. Actually, it it, it does. When it, it it confused me from uh, the very beginning, and there and the, a lot of things confused me at the very beginning of the project because I was coming from that older mindset of. Uh, of project management where, you know, cause, cause I come in, cause I was, I spent those six, seven years in pure corporate world where, okay, here's our RFP. You digest your RFP. Here's your scope document. Here's the list. Here's the, here's the, here's the calendar. Here's the timeline. Here are the workshops. And basically after two weeks, you deliver a document. This is what we're going to do. And that's what they agree to. And that's what they signed. That's what you built. Mm. And that's just the way things got built. So when I came here, I was, I think the contract was like, we will build your idea or you know, that, I mean, that's yeah. a little sarcastic, but yeah. you know, we'll, we'll help you realize an actual and, and actualize your concept. And, and I was like, but what are the 12 features that I want? You know? And, and it was strange the first couple of days, but 
that was after I, I passed the audition. Right. It was kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. But what, what I found out within that very first week or those first, let's say, seven days that's going into like maybe the, the Monday of, of the, after the first week was the idea I had, which you guys liked, I liked, my friends liked, everybody I pitched it to liked. We did a one-week quick, let's bang out the basic you know, fe- the, the feature, the one feature of this idea, take a look at it. And as we, as I stood back from it that next Monday, it's like, I don't like this idea. Yeah. And it was somewhat disheartening mm-hmm. because, you know, you think you've, you've knocked this around for three or four months. But when I looked at it and when everybody looked at it, you know, said, this isn't fun. It was going to be, a, it's a, it's Settleship at its core is a game. And when we looked at it, it said, this isn't a fun game. I'm yeah. not going to have fun playing this i'm not gonna have fun working on this i think that's, a, that's i think that's actually a common experience i've worked on a couple projects now with clients where that's when we're doing like greenfield applications like they have the idea and the idea is very fleshed out and we build it and we're two weeks into it and then we throw away the, the idea and do something extremely different like right. as soon as like the rubber meets the road and you actually have a thing and you click on it and you look at it and you try it you're like actually this is this is no we don't like no. this no exactly so so had I gone even let's say with a, an, another uh, another consulting firm who did the other approach where I listed out those twenty four features and time box backwards and whatever you know their standard project management stuff. I probably would have been I would have come to the same realization, but I probably would have spent three times as much money, four times as much time, mm. and would have been four times as upset <laughs> because <laughs> right. I was so much further down the road. Right. Whereas we were able to really pivot and build on that. We, we refocused on the concept and distilled it down. And what we came up with is what Saddleship's been for the past, you know, six, seven months of really of, of being out there in the wild. And what is that? And like I said, it's a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a game for sports fans. Then sports fans come to Saddleship every day, and they try to uh, guess the outcome of various statistics. So that's that was that was the core idea of Saddleship. But what we realized is that actually predicting statistics just on their own is kind of boring. Mm. Like if you just said. For example, the very first idea I had was let's take a hockey player and a hockey player let's let's over his timeline from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. At what waypoints over the course of the season will he hit ten goals or twenty goals or thirty goals? And you'll try to predict out that 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 trend because at the core of, of the core of my idea was uh, I don't know if you've heard of sabermetrics, but sabermetrics is a concept in if you've seen. Um, Moneyball, that's yeah. Sabermetrics, right? So Sabermetrics says that objectivity is the only way to make uh, solid predictions. So if you were try to if you try to evaluate and predict a player's performance, you need to look at all his numbers over the past several years and distill all those numbers through various formulas and algorithms and say, take away all bias and say this is the way he's going to be. And I said, well, let's flip that. Let's instead say, let's make all the predictions subjective. And what if we'd have a large enough group, and this is where wisdom of the crowds gets into, into play, comes into play. Let's say we take a large enough sample size of just sports fans, where sports is probably one of the few things 
where you're allowed to be biased. You're allowed to be overly biased towards, you know, Tom Brady or, you know, David Ortiz or whoever. You're, you're allowed to be biased because you're a fan. Fans are biased. It's just naturally. Mm. So if you're going to be subjective, if we get a large enough sampling pool, can that sample group of subjectivity outperform the objectivity of the formulas? Mm. So that was the core idea. So, so taking that, we then said, well, what else do we like about sports? And what don't we like about sports and statistics? statistics excuse me. Well, first of all, statistics is hard to say. Yeah. Second, One strike. Yeah. Secondly, uh, statistics equals I'm in, you know, second year college math class or whatever. People think stats are nerdy and boring and hard to understand. But I don't know if you're a particular sports fan, but if you ask somebody, so why are the Red Sox going to win tonight? And they'll say, well, you know, Cody Ross just hit seven for 11 over the past three games with two home runs. And they and, and they said, so I think he's going to do really well tonight, and that's why they're going to win. And then you 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 ask them, don't you know that you're you're talking about stats? Like, no, 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 no. I, I just know I'm mean, you know I like Cody Ross. So I you know I, I just know the game. I just follow the game. Mm. So, Saddleship evolved into a game that was that's shaped around the way people talk about sports. Hmm. So you started uh, learning, or you, you started coding Ruby as part of this project, right? I did. Yeah. So what was that like? Uh, I th- we we did a couple things really well in uh, within the team. First of all, we had a, a small team. There were only three people, and then myself. Oh, I guess we had you know, a designer coming in from from time to time. And I think for the first couple of weeks, really just spent time not necessarily looking over people's shoulder, but reading code over people's shoulder. You mm-hmm. know, getting you know getting the source out of out of out of Git and just just reading. So I spent a lot of time just trying to recognize patterns, um, getting comfortable with syntax, uh, getting comfortable with the reason why you guys don't put any comments, any code, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I understood right away. And I said, okay, if the if the code's complicated enough to need comments, then you probably should rewrite your code. Mm. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And then what I decided was the game needed an admin interface. We needed a way to add players or uh, add stories, <laughs> add games, add stories, right, you know, to actually the authoring component of the game. Because you guys would focus on, you know, the overall design, the scoring, you know, all that stuff. The user-facing stuff. Right. But there was an admin interface that, that I needed, and uh, that was perfect for me to sink my teeth into because anything I would do in that space was not critical path. It wouldn't break anything of the outward-facing game. Uh, it let me uh, take my time. It let me get comfortable with writing things. And admin interfaces are are pretty basic. They're you know MVC strict MVC stuff. So you you know take a game, create a game, create a story, say a yep. story. Even they're, they're basic, basic crud. Right, basic crud. Which uh, when you're dealing with a consulting company with billable hours, you don't want to spend exactly. a lot of money on. Even even when we were doing work for you know on on, on the oil and gas uh, logistics platform. Clients would. This was before we productized, and they say, you know, we we need admin interfaces for products and customers and vendors, and, and we throw them out there, and they look at the number and say, we're not paying that for 
like you said, basic crud stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's still time yeah. and money. Just you writing code these days? It is. It is just me. How how are you continuing to grow your skills? Like how are you you still That's getting better? Tough. Um it's it's tough because there's there's a few things I miss about being in Thoughtbot. And when I say in Thoughtbot, I was actually at the desk every single day right, in the through office. those in the office yep. probably for the I think it was an eight week eight or ten week project that that we did and uh, what I missed most is that that exchange of information and the exchange of skills uh, I think I think I'm expanding it at a much much slower rate uh, but I'm I'm always kind of cognizant of what you guys what you guys let what when I left. Thoughtbot with Saddleship, I, I, I had a nice, small, very tight, clean code base that did hockey games. And But the other part that I left, I left, I left two other things. One was kind of a, a philosophy. And then a second, and the third thing I left with was a test suite. And being a single developer, that test suite is probably worth 90% of what I paid in consulting fees mm-hmm. with, with ThoughtBot because when you're one person and you need to deploy out on a day, it, the, that level of confidence that that test suite gives you as one person, one person's eyes, one person's you know uh, sensibility, without that, I don't think I could do it. I would break things left and right. Absolutely. And the philosophy of Having, te- you know, everybody says, and, I, and I'd heard it in every company, oh, yeah, everybody writes test cases first and then develops. Thoughtbot was the first place I'd ever actually seen it happen, not only consistently, but, like, always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'd never seen that before. I'd, I'd, like I said, I've heard people say it, but nobody I'd ever seen had ever done it before. Mm. And when I say I left with that philosophy, those things that that's one of it that's been one of the more valuable things now do i cheat when i'm one person just on my own yeah uh but do i ever go back and say i really shouldn't be doing it this way i do so i've got like a little thought bot angel or devil on my shoulder saying okay you know at least letting you yeah, know yeah, that like, you're you know you're, you're right yeah right right you know you haven't put a spec for this thing in yet but i'm like it's just a boolean check or something or something stupid like that and i can hear somebody say you know mm. write the spec first and do that for so, so that actually brings me to another question which is if you were advising a friend of yours who was trying to do this a, a similar thing starting his own thing on his own imagine he sort of had development chops already like, what would you summarize as the lessons you've learned? You've got, like, you know, a few sentences to tell this friend sure. something useful. Um, first, I would say don't do it alone. Okay. That was the first thing I've learned that it's not that it's harder to do something, to build something alone. But if you're starting a company, there are distinct disadvantages of being a solo founder. Uh, second is... What are those disadvantages, quickly? What uh, like for example, it? I wanted uh, we had looked into uh, getting Saddleship into TechStars early on, and you know the, their response was, you know, we just don't do solo founders anymore. Mm. It's too much of a risk. They want they want kind of a balance, even if you've had experience in one way or another. Gotcha. Um, I think it also it it's better that someone can focus on um, let's say. Let's say the product and then the marketing of mm-hmm. it, because 
dividing those responsibilities or, or combining those responsibilities in one person, uh, the marketing and launching and promotion of a startup, I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but I had no idea how much work it was. Mm. So having that, having that balance, I think is, is, would be really important. So gotcha. if you, if you have an opportunity to have a co-founder and you know, I don't, I don't even care if you're like, well, it's mostly my idea. Why do I give 50% to somebody else or whatever? You're, you're going to, you'll be at a benefit by having two people, I think. Okay. And so, so, okay. So more lessons learned then? Uh, other lessons learned about the... Or, or recommendations to, you know, someone getting started. Um, there, there are a few things that, that were, that are, were important that I find myself deviating from, which I, which I probably should, should take to heart more is, you know, having read the lean startup and the, those approaches, the ability to measure and, uh, evaluate your progress is key because I've, I, there's a few mistakes that I, that I've made since, you know, maybe this, this, this spring where I get a great idea, you know, a new feature or new something. And I, spend three weeks building it, but I don't measure it properly. I don't do that. So I think sec, always second guess your next great idea and keep things really simple. And if you are going to build a new feature, take the time to measure it and evaluate it to see if it's appropriate or not, because it's, it's much easier depending on what kind of personality you are. If you're the, if you're the more gregarious marketing, I want to promote and push and, you know, put stickers on every lamppost type thing, or if you're more creative, Oh, I want to make this be the best thing. And I want to create new features. It, it can, you can get to, you can distract yourself very easily if you don't have somebody else second guessing you. So when you're one, when you're a one person startup, you always think that you're right until you're wrong. Mm. The trouble is you find out that you're not necessarily wrong, but there could always be a better use of time if you're not too careful. Mm -hmm. Um, other things that are simple that I would recommend, don't work out of your house. Hmm. Um, I did that for, you know, I, I did consulting out of my house for a while, but then after I left you guys, I worked, you know, January and February out of my house and maybe, you know, this wasn't even that bad of a winter, but it's, it's just bad working out of your house. I mean, I know everybody thinks all oh, you startups out of garages and out of basements and sure, but you know, your sleep cycle gets screwed up. Uh, you can't divide up your personal time versus your, you know, your work time and things start to blend into each other. And, you know, next thing you know, you haven't like left the house for a day or you haven't paid your bills or you, you get really confused. So in March, I, I, I got a small little office space. And after doing that, things got much better because mm -hmm you were able to really focus and divide up your time and had this, when I'm here, I'm working when I'm home, uh, I'm still working, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's I'm still home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're monitoring or you're being, you're, you're thinking of new ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, what else? Um, the other, I mean, I was fortunate enough. I think the other important thing about startups is obviously money. Uh, I was, I've been fortunate enough to be able to bootstrap Saddleship over the period of time. Uh, but I think it's wise to set some limits on what you're willing to spend either through, if you're going to bring on a third party for consulting work in any capacity, if it's development or graphic design or, you know, marketing or whatever, that you have some 
strict budget limits and um, and kind of work within those because it's too easy to treat it like a hobby when you're one person. Even though Saddleship is incorporated, it has a tax ID number. It's a, it's a it's a company. There's there's a fine line where company and hobby blends and it can be a strange feeling. Is it a hobby? Is it a, a just a passion that you're doing that doesn't need right. to make money or is it really a company? Right. No, it needs to make money. <laughs> it, it, it hopefully will. But I, I think setting up some, some strict limits on, on, on budget and giving yourself some, some hard timeline blocks to say you need to have start having a revenue model by X or Y is, is important um, because of that. The, the thing, the risk, the, the hard, tar- hard part about trying to figure out how to make money on something is, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, is sometimes you only have one shot at things. Like, even with promotion, if, if you pick a certain revenue model, is that what you're going to be locked into? Are you going to annoy your existing user base if you start paying for, uh, charging for, for things? Or do you go with advertising? Or do you go with gambling? Because everybody says, oh, you're sports, you should do gambling. And that's just not what I want to do at all. Uh, so picking that type of revenue model, it's, it's a, it's a big decision. So it can easily get pushed off too, because you don't want to make that somewhat critical mistake. Hmm. Um, what else? Can, can you touch on things that have worked for getting people to the site in terms of marketing efforts? Yeah. The the two most successful, well, the three most successful things were, one, going to this trade show that was uh, by by MIT Sloan ESPN. Mm-hmm. That by being there, just I, you know, having a trade show booth, that got the name out, and that was really the launch. That was back in March. Mm-hmm. That that brought the most pe- that probably brought the most people to the site. So mm-hmm. so focusing on a core uh, a core demographic. These are. These are sports people. These are, you know, these yeah. are people who watch ESPN every day. These are sabermetric people. These are stats people. These are uh, tons of business school people who all want to go work for the Red Sox. So, uh, so you sort of found your audience and went yeah. to them and sort exactly. of got your, your so name I, Yeah. So instead of trying to just do broad-based Google AdWords sports game because mm-hmm. that automatically – gets you into gambling and fantasy. Because if, if you put in enough keywords out of what Saddleship could be, Google thought it was a gambling site. In fact, like they couldn't even, I couldn't even get ads mm. uh, because they thought it was, it was a gambling site. So instead, focusing on a very small market. Second was focusing on a geographic location. So obviously here I'm in Boston. So most of the games early on were Bruins, Patriots, Red Sox. So if you were going to do marketing, you could go to very small local blogs, uh, you know, Boston Bruins blogs, those type of things, and much, much cheaper and much more effectively reach a particular audience. So that was very good from, from early on targeting, getting in people that were interested in the concept and were interested at least in the, the, the geographic nature of, of the game. Other ways that were great has been uh, Craigslist. My hmm. my ad for interns probably brought in one of one of the largest you know three day spikes of of interest on uh, the site on itself. The, yeah, not the actual interns. 
Yeah, yeah, no. Awesome. The people who applied, uh, I mean, I, I hired one out of out of out of the group. Uh -huh. um, not all of them were great. Sorry if you guys are listening, uh, but um, that was the set one of one of the interesting large ways to get because I also. I, uh, it goes back into targeting a, a, a market. So I was I was going after uh, sports authors in the Boston area. So if you're focusing on Boston games or whatever. So it, again, reaching out to that little market. Yeah. Other ways of traffic has been um, the inbound marketing approach, pushing a lot of the content to Twitter and the blog or a blog. That's brought a lot of traffic in. The conversion rates have been not as successful as either of those other two methods, mm. um, which has been an ongoing challenge. And, but that, that kind of works. And, uh, the second, the last one, the most successful is really word of mouth, mm -hmm. people recommending it to their friends, but, uh, things that have not been successful have not been, uh, Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. They've been really not not so great. Um, other traditional like ad posts have been mediocre. So it's it's really identifying, focusing in on that core market where you think they're going to be attracted. And I know you, they say, oh, you can target these people in Facebook, but the, the, there's so much noise mm. out of that 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 I think people are 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 more apt to respond to something if they're open to it we're looking for it rather than being shown it kind of in a weird way yeah huh so if you uh if you had to summarize sort of quickly what you would consider success for the site what would that look like to you i think success would be that people start thinking about saddleship as people use saddleship when they wake up in the morning and to get their their little fix of sports because a lot of people go, you know, wake up in the morning and they think about sports and they'll go to ESPN or Yahoo or whatever. And instead of sifting through lots of newspaper articles or you know, tons of ads, it's just it being, if you want to know in a very distilled way, like your little sports stats companion, that's what I keep thinking about Saddleship as being kind of a, a companion for your sports day, that that's, that would be successful is that, that it gets that, kind of cachet in, 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 in the collective mm -hmm. you know, world. Um, it's interesting that you don't bring up revenue of first. Well, revenue is, is like I said before, revenue models are, are, are strange because you either, you either, if you do advertising, you have to, you have to have lots of users first. It, there's these chicken and egg things, and then I keep thinking. I don't know if you've watched the, the newsroom that show on 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 HBO, mm -hmm. but I think in the first or second episode they they talk about news and whether or not ratings drives content. And you know the sales guy says, "No, I don't want I don't want ratings to drive content." Meaning, you know, do you know do the lowest common denominator story because a thousand people will be watching. Mm -hmm. You know, the the cat in the tree versus taking on let's say some. Some economic issue, you know. The, the sales guy said, "No, no, no. I want, I want, I want content to drive ratings." But that's never, never the case, and that's kind of the way I look at advertising. Would if I if I did an advertising based model? Obviously, you need lots of traffic to drive advertising. But then once you once you have lots of traffic, you then kind of need to 
alter your content to appease your advertisers. Now, what does that do to the game? Yeah. Do I do I can I not write games of a certain tone or a certain message like that? So uh, I don't I don't I don't I don't I'm not too sure. There's certain revenue models that I that that are more appealing to me, and I think it comes down to I go I go back to that data analytic mode of things where you start seeing trends in fan behavior, and one of the concepts in the sports world, or at least in the sports business world, in order to retain, drive, and attract customers, because the Major League Baseball, you have customers. The customers are called fans. Boston Red Sox has customers. They're fans. And you want to keep them active. You want to keep them entertained. Knowing who they are and how they behave and what they like is something that un- that is an underlying set of information that Saddleship gives. So, for example, I know out of my user base these sets of users are, are are Bruins fans. I know that this person is a Tampa Bay Rays fan because she always plays these games. Well, I know that more often than not, this person is more biased towards these players or, or not based on how they vote. Some people, some people will always go with their gut and say, you know, he'll score three goals, even though when it's not realistically possible. So... I'm more interested if I'm going to do revenue in that analytic approach to to information than say selling ads or uh, giving away prizes of T-shirts and stuff like that or, or you know um, just because I think overall it's 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 a more it's a more valuable commodity than traffic. It's not that interesting to me. Okay, what would make you quit? What would make you give up? I I don't think I would quit. What I think what I would do is I would go get a job and then make it a hobby. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's whether or not whether or not Saddleship is remains a company that I'm devoting 100% of my time to. I think I think what I would end up doing if I had to let's say I ran out of funds and I couldn't raise money or you know whatever happens, I think it would I think it would just shift into into a hobby rather than than a, than a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like a good sign. Like you have the passion for it, whether it's a viable business or not. It's something that you want to work on. Yeah, exactly. Because to be quite honest, I'm I'm much more a hockey fan than I am a baseball fan or or even a basketball fan. But with my interns writing these other games for me, I, I'm actually learning more about sports than I ever had before. Mm-hmm. Learning about you know who who the better players are. Where the milestones are, some of the historical context. It's it's actually quite an engaging thing to to read and 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 games are always great ways of to learn because there's positive and negative reinforcement. You're you're forced to make an assessment, and I think if people want to start being re reengaging themselves in sports, then just not you know. Going to the ballpark and buying some nachos, or or, or you know trying to buy a, a jersey, by 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 playing these games, you start becoming more of a part of, uh, you know, the uh, the whole the whole culture and I don't even know what to call it. Sports sports are, is strange because there it has its it has its own little culture and its own set of stories. It's kind of like being wrapped in, you know, 
wrapped in a world that only fans have to live in. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a, it's a kind of a little bit of a bubble, but mm-hmm. but to get in there, it's it's not necessarily that accessible unless you've lived in it. So. Okay, so I want to cover some of the events that we have going on in the next month or so. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode that Josh Clayton is going to be presenting Metaprogramming in the Wild, Source Diving in Factory Girl, and that is at the Lone Star Ruby Conference, August 9th through 11th in Austin. And also Mike Burns is presenting When Not to Use Object-Oriented Techniques, which is sure to definitely piss off a lot of people. Uh, that would be at Eurocamp uh, in August 17th through 19th in Berlin. Uh, our CEO, Chad Pytel, is going to present, uh, participating in the Teaching Rails panel uh, at Madison Ruby Conference, August 23rd through 25th in Madison, Wisconsin. And one other event, uh, Joe Ferris, our CTO, is presenting uh, a talk about how to imp- improve the performance of your Ruby on Rails applications in the cloud. Uh, and that'll be at Heroku in San Francisco on July 24th. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. So if you'd like to ask us questions, we often answer them here on the podcast or on our blog. Uh, and there's a couple ways you can get in touch with us. One is you can call us toll-free at 877-9-ROBOTS, extension 198, and you can leave a voicemail. You can also just email questions to info at thoughtbot.com or tweet to us at at thoughtbot. Now, finally, I just want to mention that uh, I'm Ben Orenstein. I'm Rook on Twitter. Uh, I've been talking with David Tierson. Uh, you can get in touch with him through the Twitter account for Stattleship, which is just like Battleship with a B or, a, or Battleship with an ST <laughs> at the front um, on Twitter. And uh, we'll have some links in the show notes to the site itself and anything else we talked about. But, uh, David, thanks very much for coming and talking to us. Really appreciate it. That yeah, was fun. Yeah, take, take care.